0: We had had a a gallery in New York, and one of the shows was Bernie Kirschenbaum, who was uh, a student of Bucky Fuller. Anyway, I remember spending a lot of time in the gallery at that time during his show, thinking that this is really what I would like to live in. And I had been living in lofts for years, and lofts were basically 20 by uh, 100 or so feet of just an industrial space and a rectangle. So I thought I'd like it to be exactly like that, except round. So that was my feeling about geodesic domes.
1: We chose to build a dome because... We were really interested in new technology, and we were really, really interested in being connected to science and to the rest of the world and to other young people and old people and people who were trying to solve various problems. And Buckminster Fuller was an incredible hero in that the dome covers the most space with the least amount of material. And Buckminster fully spends a lot of time in his books talking about how resources can best be used and how we have enough to feed, house, and clothe everyone on the planet to a pretty high degree of opulence if we don't waste and we have habits of wasting and our old ways of constructing.
0: We had this idea, I mean, we had a lot of ideas about Libre before we got there. One of them was its name, you know, <laughs> Free. And I thought, well, we're not exactly free, but maybe, you know, that's a dream. And uh, we'll go toward that dream for the rest of our days.
1: We have these great hopes for what we were doing at Libre, and we had no idea what was going to happen or if we could survive the first winter, but we knew we were doing something really important. Not because we were trying to be an example for people of how you could make a commune. We were just trying to make a life we wanted to live with people that we thought shared our love of making, and love of thinking, and love of reading, and love of the landscape. It was, and is, continues to be, that amazing touchstone in my life. Not just that moment in time, but that place. To be able to create a place where you can make your work, but also have a sense of what you're capable of doing. I mean, building this dome when I was 22 has had an astounding effect on what I now know I'm capable of doing. So this is a 40-foot diameter geodesic dome with a 20-foot ceiling. So we had to go 20 feet up in the air to put in those panels, to put all the structure together, et cetera. And being able to do that was really profound.
0: So we uh, figured the smallest space we could possibly survive in was 40 foot. And that made a nice righteous sized dome.
1: I got the what are called chord factors, the dimensions for the dome from Drop City, from an artist named Clark Rickert, really extraordinary painter. He was really always interested in, and still is, in domes and fractals and tessellations. So he was the, the kind of wizard behind domes. And I asked him to tell me how to build one. And he tore off a scrap of brown paper bag and he wrote six chord factors, And he drew just a quick sketch of one of these great triangles and divided it and put the letters in so I could see that A to B was then in this key that he gave me, which was this particular decimal point. And then you figure out the diameter of the dome you want to build, and you multiply that by the decimal figure. And that's the length of the strut. It's pretty brilliant.
0: The joists under the floor were from the old coal mines, big beams that were holding up the tipples in the coal mines. And uh, we brought them up and had that be the basis of it.
1: We were really trying to be, live efficiently. We were trying to build things with found materials And
0: then we got these two-by-fours, three units in the floor and one unit in the structure, and they were $10 a unit, so that's like $40 worth of two-by-four.
1: Those two-by-fours were what were being discarded by the lumber mill. They had bark on one side.
0: So the ones that had the least bark were the structure, and the ones that had the most bark were the floor. But the fact that it's 50 years old and it's 700 bucks, I mean, that, that's called low-cost housing, you know? Here was Linda, who was extremely pregnant during most of the building. She went to the neighbor's pole where it had a meter coming down and just plugged into that and then cut these things on a radial arm saw, these two by four, But they you pull the blade toward you. It's a fierce, roaring thing. You pull it toward you, and it would stop about a quarter of an inch from her very large, pregnant stomach.
1: Uh, oh, shit. And it was pretty sketchy, but it, what's so amazing to me is it didn't seem dangerous. It didn't seem unusual. I'd never seen anybody do it. I'd never known anybody to build a dome. I'd never known anybody to have a baby up in the mountains. I mean, none of it was usual, but it all seemed just natural.
0: So Linda did all that crazy stuff. And then when the baby was born in August, I don't know, the next day, I can't remember that she actually had a day off or anything, but baby a day or two. But anyway, she was back up there. We put her in a chair, and we said, you tell us what to do, and we'll do it.
1: And we first put up the struts, which are, they were two-by-fours, and they became the skeleton. Um, And since I had built the model, and I had cut all the struts and numbered them, I was the only person who knew how they went together.
0: And then we made PVC pipe, three-inch plastic pipe, and made hubs out of that so they could be lag-bolted into each of the two-by-four.
1: And so the hubs would warp into these ovals, and we didn't know how much stress they could take before they broke.
0: It was quite torqued until we got to the last pentagon at the very top, and as we put that pentagon in, all of the hubs of the entire 40-foot dome became perfectly round.
1: And it worked. It was amazing. It was truly amazing that it really, really worked.
0: And it was like an epiphany. It was like the moment of realization. Once it had done that, we were fine. So this dome Being as it was such glorious space, we always uh, had all of the parties and all of the dinners and all of the theater shows and poetry readings and jam sessions and all of it happened inside that dome.
1: It seemed like we always had amazing guests, amazing visitors. We knew exactly what music was coming out. We knew what books were just happening, what was being talked about, written about, what the big issues were in the country right at that moment.
0: I had a feeling was not like uh, transitory. I thought, this is uh, what I'm really going to do, and I'm going to be here for a lifetime. And I never tired of either the view or the surroundings of the Pignon or the rocks or any of it, the dome, the glorious living space. And it's really good for the the art.
1: So it was really interesting to allow Libre to become the place we wanted it, you know, that we'd originally thought of, which was a place where we could make our work. And we were able to certainly reinforce each other's resolve. And Dean was always really adamant about the significance of my work and not just his own. He wasn't like the important artist and I was just backup. We were both really doing the most important things to us. So it was wonderful to be able to not just make the place but insist that the place allow that to continue to happen
0: and uh, just as a sidelight I would say that I've been there 50 years now and I love it I have never not loved it it's like an incredible place and an incredible building and basically it was a $700 investment in 2x4s and plywood